We begin this morning actually over in Jeremiah, and I'll let you turn to that as I kind of open those scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 18, if you'd like to turn to that. In the Acts Sunday School Morning Community, Kevin has been going through both biblical manhood and womanhood, much of which is taken from Rick's wonderful book. And for the last two weeks, last uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the creation of man, and last week, the creation of woman, and going forward, not next week, but two weeks, going forward, we're going to look at sin and the fall as revealed to us in the book of Genesis. But today we're going to take a brief uh, respite from that topic, but not, we're not going to wander too far away because we're going to look at the sovereignty of God and the Creator and the fall and the brokenness of that creation, and which I think is one of the most ominous and revealing parables given in the Bible for us today. I've prayed long and hard. How can we speak and know there's a God? How does He reveal Himself to us? Jeremiah is going to tell us. Romans will confirm that. So with open hearts this morning, uh, we open, and I want to begin by saying now, I'm going to share my heart here. Don't, don't get too excited. I'm not crazy. But I remember as a little boy, I was enthralled with duplicating little miniature things taken from big things. I always like, and it's one of my hobbies, I like to look at real-life things. And if I can, cut it down, miniaturize it, turn it into a diorama so it's a scale exactly of what you see in real life. And that has become a real hobby for me. Now, some of us have done that growing up with dolls and trains. And some of you guys probably still play with your trains, so don't make fun of me. As a matter of fact, I loved, when I was growing up, Howdy Doody. Now, you, a lot of you don't know who Howdy Doody is. Uh, but so, some of us can remember Howdy Doody and Buffalo Bob and Clarabelle the Crown. Uh, those days were black and white TV. But I used to love to watch... Howdy duty. But I'm going to make a revelation here of my real heart. I wanted to be Pinocchio. All of my life, I really wanted to be Pinocchio. And some of you remember the Disney movie's adventure of Pinocchio. Uh, Disney made it famous back in 1940, but it's been done and redone by many since that time. As a matter of fact, Tom Hanks just last week on September the 8th, came out with the newest version entitled The Magic of Pinocchio. The story continues, and as that story continues, I want you to see the image. So this is the image, I don't know if you can see that, of Geppetto. How many of you know the story of Pinocchio? Good. If you can, I want to take you there, because here's Geppetto, and he's making little Pinocchio. And you see that. Now, what comes to mind is really the Disney version. I had some Sunday school class members one time give me a little Pinocchio. But you remember the Disney version of Pinocchio? And that's, that's him. I know it's small and hard to see, but I'm, you get the visual image, and that's what I want. I want you to get a visual image because we're going to take that into Scripture. Well, here's the book originally written by Carlo Collati, in 1883. Now, you won't recognize that Pinocchio. Much slimmer, much older, 
but still has that lying long nose. Okay, it'll get you in trouble every time. Thank God he doesn't allow us to extend our nose if we lie today. We'd be bumping into each other from my sure. But the book in 1883 written by Kaladi has become a classic. The Adventures of Pinocchio was actually written in 1881 as a child's uh, uh, letters inside of a magazine. So it was kind of a story, an ongoing story by a magazine every week. But such demand for Pinocchio that finally in 1883, he had to sit down and write the book. Since that time, upwards of 90 million copies have been sold, the book of Pinocchio. So the story continues today. Since that writing, it's inspired many different uh, editions. There's been a television series and countless movies made about little Pinocchio. I plowed through Kaladi's Pinocchio many times, the original. It's hard. It's tough. He was living a tough life, much tougher than Disney would show it. But it was very creative in a sense. But I've always entertained the idea personally of writing a pamphlet, a white paper, a treatise, something... Because God has always shown me in Pinocchio, there's a theology there. The theology of Pinocchio. Let us review the story of Pinocchio and see what lessons it teaches us. First, we meet Capetto, who has made all of the wonderful toys in his workshop. Capetto is sort of like God especially God the Father, who has created all of the wonderful things in this universe. But Capetto makes one toy which is very special to him. Yes, that toy is Pinocchio. Pinocchio is special to Capetto because he is made in his image. He is a person like Capetto. Not a real live boy yet, but Capetto sees that Pinocchio has potential. Like Capetto, God has made a very special creature, man. Made in God's image, man is God's special creation. Next we see the Blue Fairy give Pinocchio life and a conscience. Now Pinocchio is even more special. He now has a chance to become a real boy. But having a conscience is just part of it. Pinocchio would soon find out that following his conscience is the real test. The Blue Fairy is like God as well. God the Holy Spirit, who gives us life and the power to do good. But like Pinocchio, following the promptings of the Holy Spirit is not always easy. Sooner or later, we meet temptation. It sounds good, but always leads us into trouble. Luckily, God gives us a second chance.
Although he is scared, Pinocchio does a brave and selfless thing. He goes to find Capetto, who has been swallowed up by Monstro the Whale. It is only when we act truly selflessly that we become our real selves, like Pinocchio, a real boy. Becoming our real selves is sometimes called dying to our old selves or being born again because it is like the start of a new life, a better life, a life that is pleasing to God. I present to you the eighth wonder of the world. The one and only Pinocchio! Hello, Pops! Oh! Oh! <laughs> Jumping keepers! An almost real boy. <laughs> Turn around, let me get a look at you. I will be right here when you get back. Pinocchio is running around loose without a conscience? Can you imagine the trouble he's gonna get into? Wouldn't want that on my conscience. Everybody who's anybody wants to be a somebody. But I want to be real. Why on earth would you want to be real when you can be famous? Pinocchio should have been home by now. Pinocchio! Like a bolt out of the moon. He won't be a puppet anymore. That's for sure. Selfish. You will always be my real boy. A lie can really change a person, Pinocchio. <gasps> What's happening, Jiminy? Looks like some sort of fairy magic. Kind of on the nose, if you ask me. Okay, thank you, Nate. Well, if you doubted, uh, you know how simple-minded I am now. So uh, you know what Mary has married, so pray for her hard. But I've always loved Pinocchio because I found God in that. I see God in that. I shouldn't say I found God in that. But I promise uh, I'm not going to do magic tricks, and I'm not going to ask Nate to roll in here on a motorcycle. That, that's not where I'm going next. But I do want to set the stage this morning very quickly to give us a very vivid and real picture that God gives us of himself and of us, ourselves, in Scripture. Uh, I do think there's some value, though, in, in to, to look at this image of Pinocchio in our minds and keep that and lay that beside the image that God gives us of himself as the potter and the clay. 
That's an image that's represented several times throughout all of Scripture. God himself writes the allegory of the power of the potter and the clay to reveal his sovereignty, his purpose, his providence, and his election in our lives. Make no mistake, and I'm not saying at all that Pinocchio is equal to the Scriptures. I'm not saying that. Pinocchio is written by a very depraved, very broken, very depraved human author, and we understand that. I'm not suggesting, again, that there's any kind of parity or equity in the imagery, but I do want, as my purpose this morning, for us to walk out of here, and the next time you think of Geppetto, or you think of the blue-haired fairy, or you think of Jimmy the Cricket, or Pinocchio himself, you'll be reminded of the real image, the real picture that God provides for us in Scripture. That's my purpose this morning for the elect. Bob Anderson, a couple of Fridays ago in the men's Friday Bible study, talked about the parable of the sower as it was recorded in both Mark and Matthew and reminded us in that parable to always understand that parables always show the plan of redemption. And they underscore three predominant things. One, the sovereignty of God. Two, human responsibility. And three, the grace of the gospel. Certainly as we see this morning, we will see those revealed in the potter in the clay. So let me read the first six verses. This is Jeremiah. Turn with me, Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it has seemed good to the potter to do. Verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. We look this morning in this parable uh, with some important applications. And first of all, we're going to look at the power of the potter and the personality of the clay. And then we're going to reverse that and look at the power of the clay and the personality of the potter. So the power of the potter, personality of the clay, reverse that and look at the power of the clay and the personality of the potter. Um, First of all, the Bible says, he tells Jeremiah, I'm sending my servant down to see a sermon. That's an interesting phrase. I'm going to send you to the potter's house so you can see a sermon. Actually, it's a very simple sermon, one that's easy to make identifications in this very wonderful living parable that God gives to us through Jeremiah. God identifies for us the clay. Israel, his chosen, and God is the potter. It's easy to make this application to all of mankind, but certainly individually, for and to each one of us. Man's the clay on the potter's wheel. Every person who ever lived on this earth is the clay, the created and the creator. The figure of the potter and the clay is carried over into the New Testament as well as we see Paul in the epistle to the Romans, wrote, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and the other dishonor? Romans 9.21. 2 Timothy 2.21. 
If a man therefore purge himself from these, now these refers back to what has come before, meaning uh, there was wooden and clay vessels. Coming and purging himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. So this analogy carries all through the Word of God in both the Old and New Testament. It's a simple illustration, but it's one we can fall danger in this message if we're not careful to pay attention as God is describing who we are and who He is. This parable, this simile, this illustration is just like I see the scarlet blood that runs from Genesis all the way through Revelation throughout the Bible. So too does this this story of the potter and the clay. We see on the wheel your calling and mine in eternity past. Verses 1 and 2, we see Jeremiah's mission. Go down the potter's house and you will hear my words. God is talking. In verse 4, he says the clay is spoiled. Now why why is the potter working with old, ugly, yucky, moly, clump of mud? We see that clay presented earlier, Genesis 1 through 3. He formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. In his image are created then we very early, then the fall in sin. Genesis 3.19, we read, In the sweat of the face, in thy face, you shall eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it the ground you were taken, and from dust thou art, and from dust you shall return. Dust, the clay on the potter's wheel. Something's happened to that clay, all of it. The pure, smooth, malleable clay that the potter would live to work with is now dirty, yucky. And the Bible says literally in Jeremiah here, we were spoiled and marred. Jeremiah went down to the potter's house. He saw the potter at work. And at the wheel, his foot on the pedal, turning the wheel and at his hands, he definitely and, and, and very distinctively, artistically, working with that clay, forming out of it a work of art. Don't rob yourself of the picture here. Our modern tendency is to see in the modern age a production line with crafted piece after crafted piece going down this long assembly line. No, no, no. Here what we see is a master craftsman working deliberately and carefully forming each and every piece his focus on each creation as special to him and his time is eternity. The Old Testament explains it like this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so he cannot find out what the work with which God has done from the beginning to the end. In Psalm 139, I want to read to you a few verses there. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. You formed me from my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame has it hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my uninformed substance in your book were written every one of them days the days that were formed for me when yet there were none of them before there were days you wrote down my name 
for eternity in your book. Chris Larson, the president and CEO of Ligonier Ministries, says the sovereignty of God is, in fact, the foundation of Reformed theology. Used to listen to Adrian Rogers, oh, good old Baptist preacher Adrian Rogers. They're the only thing made man-made in heaven are the scars in the side and the nail prints in his hands. Perfunctory. Let that stay with you. Nowhere will you find such a graphic picture of the sovereignty of God as provided here in Holy Scripture of God Himself, man the clay upon the potter's wheel, God the potter. Our side story of Pinocchio, Pinocchio is made of a piece of pine wood taken by Geppetto with such deliberate care, knowing and lovingly he knew that one day that piece of wood would become a little boy. We instinctively picture in our mind and can visualize this picture whether we visit the potter's wheel or the master woodcarver's bench or not. We understand the parable that God gives us here and in other verses of Scripture. We see the power of the potter, and the power is unquestionable and undeniable. The clay on the potter's wheel can't get up when it wants. The clay on the potter's wheel is not able to do anything. It can only yield to the potter's hand. It will be what the potter designs it to be. In his sermon on Jeremiah 18, 1 through 23, Rick says, and he pointed out, our society today, we rebel so often because of the humanism of the day. Close quote. It's all about me. My rights. I'm the center of the universe. Murderers have the right to plead the fifth just to protect their rights. Students deface schools and torment other classmates because it's their right. Police are immediately sent to the penalty box if they after make a disturbing arrest because some felony with five previous convictions has legal rights far greater and more important than those sworn to carry out the laws of society. We get the picture. We know how broken and how far we've fallen in our depravity and sins. But the Bible makes it clear God is God and only He is the incontestable authority to do His will, His way, and His purpose. He's the potter. He can form this little earth on which we live to suit Himself. He can make the nations to rise up or fall down. To Him, they are but a drop in the bucket. And He will do what He pleases. He raises up and He brings down kings on their throne. Genesis 1, 26-27 says, We're all created in God's image, in our image, As the Bible records, the image of the triune God created he us. The Hebrew word, as Kevin reminded us two weeks ago, the Hebrew there means to resemble, to carve out from the original. Little Pinocchio. Our little brains can't begin to comprehend the power, his majesty, his sovereignty. He is the potter, but we are the clay. Now, man says, if I can't understand and don't know what I don't know, then I'll argue and talk back to God. Jim, I bet you see that a lot down on Mission to Maine. People that would just argue back, there is no God. Flip it in God's face. That's the way it is. Well, how well does it turn out when one dare talk back to God? Let me read very quickly Romans 9, verse 18 through 23. So he has mercy upon he being God. He has mercy upon whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. You will say to me, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But you are, O man, to answer back to God. 
Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honor and one of dishonor? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath, us, prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the verses, uh, vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Talking about us. The classical German scholar Johann Bingel wrote, The Jews thought in no case could they be abandoned by God, and in no case could the Gentiles be received by God. The German expositor Johann Peter Lang summed it up well when he said, When a man goes to the link of making himself a God, whom he affects, man, by binding it to his own rights, God then puts on his majesty and appears in all his reality as a free God before whom man is mere nothing like clay in the hands of the potter. Adelaide Pollard had it right in her song that you remember, and you know her theology was correct. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. After thy will, I am waiting, yielded and still. Then we see the personality of the clay. We understand from Scripture that God, who forms us from the womb, numbers every hair on our head, keeps count of our suffering, puts our tears in a bottle, and keeps record of them, Psalm 56, 8. God knows, God cares for you. We don't necessarily need to spend much time Talking about our fallen condition, we know that we're fallen. The clay is in the pot as the clay as the potter spends, verse four says, is marred and spoiled. We believe the record in Scripture of the fall, the federal headship of Adam, the condition of sin, and our fallen state. As Reformed Presbyterians, we believe in the doctrines of total depravity. That is the personality of the clay. What does that actually mean? Well, we're not as bad and as corrupt as we could be. That's not what depravity means. But we are depraved in every facet of our being and all specks of our life. Rick points out in his book, What's So Great About the Doctrines of Grace? This is not that there's nothing good about us. In fact, we need to emphasize the humankind was created good, bearing the image of God. But it does mean, as Arthur Pink says and explains, The entrance of sin into the human constitution has affected every part and faculty of man's being. John Calvin, there is a world of vices hidden in the soul of men. Table talk summed it up. It says, in our fallen state, we're not only unable to reconcile ourselves to God, we don't even want to. Table talk. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Just when we think man can't slither into new lows or rise to new heights of depravity, we read news or we turn on the cable box of depravity and we see yet new acts to which men, women, and 69 other genders have fallen. Outside the church, there seems to be, we're living in a world that has no purpose, no meaning. This little ball of dirt in the cosmos is exactly what the Bible says Spoil, rotten, stinky, soiled clay. All creation, the Bible says, groans in separation from the Creator. 
Thomas Manton said, the godly, fear, the godly fear losing God, the carnal fear finding Him, the fear of man. Such is the personality of the clay. An unknown author summed it up when he says, in a day of illusions and confusions, upon our delusions we based our conclusions. That's a tongue twister, but it's really true. All the delusions that we have. Translated, we've lost our minds. That's what that's saying. We're stiff-necked, stiff-hearted, and beyond repair as clay. Mark Twain, love old Mark Twain. I was going to find Mark Twain somewhere. He says, you know, much has been said about Adam as the inventor of sin. Well, that weren't twerned nothing. I could have done that myself. Well, so true it is. He also made the comment, God created the monkey because he was so disappointed with man. Maybe there's some truth there too. Then look, secondly, we see the power of the clay in the personality of the potter. Look away for a minute. Behind the potter's wheel, you're going to see behind him a shelf, and on that shelf are works of art. Those objects of beauty were one time on the potter's wheel as the clay. That clay yielded to the potter's hand, and once they were shapeless, mass of mud like you and me, what happened? That lifeless clay was under the hand of the potter and the wheel of predestination turned and he molded and made unto them vessels now that stand on display. Immediately our minds go back to Hebrews 12, 1. That great cloud that surrounds us, that have gone before us, those saints, our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. The clay on the potter wheel has a marvelous capacity and resilience placed there by the potter himself. He takes the water like the washing of the word and shapes us and conforms us into his likeness. He sprinkles in us that blood of the lamb into the very soul and places his precious spirit in our hearts by every turn of the wheel. Jeremiah 18, verses 3 and 4, The clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he worked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. I'm reminded of that story, beautiful story I love, Jehoiakim in the Bible when Jeremiah takes Baruch, the scribe, and, and God tells him, write these words, and, and the king himself, Jehoiakim, took his penknife out, cut out parts he didn't like, and threw it in the fire. And what's God do? God calls Jeremiah says, Jeremiah, you get Baruch out again, take your penknife, and I'm going to write it again. The personality of the clay, the power of the potter. I'll put my law within them, and I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, Jeremiah 31, 33. Two of the most promising words in the Scriptures show the personality, though, of the potter. For his chosen lump of clay, Ephesians 2, 4, but God, but God, being rich in his mercy because of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even His grace is given to us, Ephesians 4, 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. An onlooker, as an onlooker, Jeremiah must ask himself, what's the potter going to make? What's he doing down there? I don't know, Pinocchio, but let's watch him. We can't tell what the finished product is going to look like, but the potter knows. He has a plan. He knows what he's doing. The onlooker nor the clay may not know at all his purpose for our trials and tribulations, but the potter knows, and he wins. 
As I close, I've got to share one more ominous story, the story of Judas' betrayal in Matthew 27. When Judas saw that Jesus was condemned to the cross, he changed his mind and brought back to the chief high priest and the elders the 30 pieces of silver and went out and hung himself. But the Bible takes counsel when it says they took counsel together, that being the, the elders and the high priest, and brought the blood money with them to the potter's field the burial place of the strangers at the potter's field. Do you get the message? And the prophecy of Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him who had to pay the price is given by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, the field of blood as the Lord directed me. Matthew 27, 9 through 10. Now they probably didn't know why they were calling it the field of blood. But the potter is more wonderful than any other potter. He shed his blood that he might go into the field and take those broken pieces of clay, put them together again on the potter's wheel, and make them into another vessel chosen. Maybe you or I or somebody know feels like that we're too broken for God to use us. That life hasn't amounted to much, but the potter's already paid the price. I can't make anything out of myself or my life, but He can. And He does put us on the wheel and shape us into the vessel of honor. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I wake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Psalm seventeen fifteen. Beloved, now we are the children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know when it appears... We will be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. 1 John 3, 2. You're the potter. He's the potter. I am but the clay. So what's the application as we close this morning? My life and your life is monergistic work of the potter. We're on the wheel and we are all in the potter's hands. Why do I exhibit such little faith? Why? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've gone to prepare a place for you if it were not so, I would have told you. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord will wipe away all the tears from your eyes. I will be with them as their God and they will be my people. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why do I not trust the potter? Surely, I am coming soon, says the potter to the clay. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that as you draw near for us such a simple but powerful illustration of the potter and his clay, so we may be ever begin to comprehend your sovereignty and holiness. We're so broken, we're so frail, we're so weak and left unto ourselves, we cannot fathom the covenant of redemption made by God our Father and our Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit before the foundation. May we understand that every pain, every correction, every good comes to us as but a turn on the wheel on the potter's bench, 
as you mold us and make us into your image and your likeness of our dear Son and our Savior. Forgive us as we doubt, as we grumble and complain in the brokenness that you are but the creator here of all things in eternity. May we begin each morning with this image in our minds. And may we close every evening with this truth in our hearts to get us through every day. You are the potter. We are the clay. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.